0: Some kind of enough that we need to find some kind of limits.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's a really good word. That word, enough, and and here too, I would say, we don't have many forums in which, as communities of people, we can talk about what that is. Right when when have people reached enough? Mm-hmm. Because here is the the startling thing: if you imagine talking to somebody who lived a hundred years ago, for instance they would find our lives unimaginable because of the many comforts and conveniences it affords. And and the question would be, why are we still not satisfied? And I think the, the best way to make sense of this historically is to say that human beings are the kinds of beings that compare themselves to others. And whenever you start that game, you always find someone who's doing more, has more, looks better, whatever. And so you're perpetually dissatisfied. And Mm -hmm. and that's a recipe for disaster. And I think this is why in in Jewish and Christian traditions in particular, uh, it's so important to keep this idea of the Sabbath in our minds, because the Sabbath is, is precisely that regular time where people ask about what they have, why they should celebrate what they have. It's also why practices of thanksgiving are so important. Mm-hmm. And here indigenous folks have so much to teach us about the need to regularly reflect as a community about the many ways in which our our places, our habitats, our communities, our sources of our livelihood that are a blessing doesn't mean they're not difficult or that they can't be bothersome and disagreeable even but nonetheless, we can't live without them. And so I think practices of Thanksgiving and and Sabbath are really, really vital at this very moment when we have not just lost the brakes, but have assumed that stepping on the accelerator will solve every problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really, that's really great. I've heard people refer to the idea of uh, the Sabbath year as well and the Jubilee year. And I know part of that also involves, you know, forgiveness of debt, yeah and that seems um, that's such a massive problem uh across you know all the whole planet right now, countries in debt, individuals in debt uh, so then it seems like there's a pretty serious critique of of capitalism in what you're saying as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And here you know you're bringing up debt is I think so so important because I think for many people today it's impossible to imagine. A world apart from the debt imaginary yeah right? we're always in in a financial hole with respect to somebody else and it's a truly sinister phenomenon so for instance if you think about how imperial gestures by countries mm-hmm. over the last 200 years or so have raped and pillaged whole continents and then put them in debt yeah. and then required these communities of people to service the debt rather than take care of their own communities, to take care of their own habitats. It, it's it's not just sinister, it's deeply evil. Yeah. And, and most everybody knows that these countries are not in a position where they're ever going to pay off their debts. And it's not as though these countries are expecting that this debt will somehow alleviate their own national problems. But that debt can't be forgiven because yeah. of some crazy logic that assumes that this is world that we live in where you always pay your debts when the sabbath and the jubilee are are the reminder that nobody should be in a condition of desperation or misery nobody should be in a position that they can profit off of another person's misery or misfortune which is also why usury is such a problematic practice in religious traditions so I think, I think you're raising a, a really, really important point in which now money is the determining factor, not just for how we live in the world, but what we think about the world, what we think about each other, and what we think about our obligations. Because people have obligations. They just do because we're constantly depending on what other people can do to help us to live. But an obligation is very different than a financial debt. Yeah. And being able to distinguish those two things is really important because one's a moral economy and one's a financial economy. And the moral economy, which is devoted to developing relationships, is quite different than a monetary economy, which is about contracts and legality and things of that sort.
0: Mm, Nice.
1: That's a good distinction.
0: Yeah. And so then the moral economy, like paying attention to that would be a solution to the problem of the financial economy run amok.
1: Exactly. I mean, think here about how so many traditional or indigenous cultures, when they operate in a moral economy, it's an economy that's based on sharing and gift giving. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say there isn't money in them, right? Gift right. economies often had money associated with them and transactions too. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that the relationships are governed by the sense that we all need each other. Mm-hmm. And so in the damaging of others, we also always damage ourselves. Right? And of course, that's something the capitalist economy doesn't understand at all, yeah. because it's going through this world, through all of our communities, doing tremendous damage to people and places, and in the process, not seeing how this is undermining the very viability of a future. Yeah. Seems like such a simple point
0: to say. <laughs> Like have, has anybody thought about sharing? <laughs> we're like now we're that in
1: kindergarten, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's a kindergarten lesson,
1: right. and
0: somehow we're like, yeah, but that's that's just for kids. And you know, right. here in the grown-up world, that's things are harsh, and this is the reality we have to deal with. No, not sure. really. For the vast majority of the history of our species, we didn't do this. Yeah, um, and so I like one of the phrases in your book. You refer to the rooted life, you know, and this idea that we're kind of getting back into place. And that there's that <clears throat> root in tradition, as well as kind of spatially in, in your environment. But you know, getting back into those roots that will help us, uh, you know, find what the limits of of what enough is. We just right. have to remember.
1: Yeah, and I think this is this is not a small point because there's so much in philosophical and theological traditions that don't want us to think about rootedness, right? So there's two ways we can go at this. One is to just think about the number of spiritualities that populate our religious traditions in which the the trajectory is always up and away. Mm. And it's a disembodied movement often, right? So that's one stream that gets us into trouble with rootedness. But the second one is, is, is more of a Western philosophical notion, which is of course, we have this thing called the hierarchy of being where mm. you've got soil at the bottom, then plants, then animals, then humans, then angels, and then God on top. Well, this is a, a version of, a, of the sort of gradations in being, which makes a very clear distinction between plants and humans. And we are above plants. And therefore, we don't think that plants are much to learn from. Aristotle put this down famously in his book De Anima on the soul. but it's been carried forward. We think that it's somehow beneath us to try to pay attention to plants, to see how they help us understand what it means to be a creature. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things I wanted to do in the book is actually attend to what we can learn from plants Mm -hmm. about rooted existence, because, you know, a person who I've grown to really love is, is Robin Kimmerer and and her Mm -hmm. book braiding sweetgrass is now the rage by everyone. But She makes these fabulous points about how how plants, in their very being, create fertility, create Mm -hmm. oxygen. They do it all without poisoning anything. They do it while standing still. And and as Wendell Berry says, they provide shade and fruit in in the process. And this is something that you you read some of these indigenous writers. They say, what if we were to learn from our elder sisters and brothers called the plants? about what it means to live in our places in a non-contentious way. Whereas so many of the ways that we think about inhabiting a place is to be in struggle with it from the beginning. Mm. And, and that has done so much damage. And, and so to try to figure out right, what plants teach us about rootedness, what plants teach us about opening ourselves up to the dark of the soil or opening ourselves up to the atmosphere, Right, that these become ways of, of transforming what we think a human being is. And while it is true that we can move about because we've got this facility called locomotion, the reality is, is that everything we need comes from the land in the ways of our feeding and the ways of our drinking, in the ways of our breathing, our touching, our energizing ourselves, our building our homes. Everything draws us back into the ground. And so that ability, that facility to move about has caused us to think that we're not rooted, but of course that's a—it's an illusion, right? The roots are there every time you take a bite, mm-hmm. uh, and we just need to be reminded of that.